Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. Here on Well, 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 Jack and Jacinta are with you in studio. It's non-binary people's day, Jacinta. It is. International, International non-binary people's International day. non-binary people's day, which is always a really great day to reflect on the wonderful non-binary people yes. in our communities. And we're now joined by SJ Matthews, who is the co-founder of Doctor, an online directory for LGBTQA plus safe health clinicians. That's D-O-C-D-I-R as in Doctor Directory. And we'll be having a chat about Doctor first up. So it's about navigating the health system when you're non-binary. SJ, welcome. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi. Lovely to be here. Do you want to start off by telling us um, a little bit about yourself and what Doctor is. How did it start? Sure. Um, so I'm a non-binary person. Um, I started asking some questions around why a national directory didn't already exist um, for safe healthcare for the LGBTQ community. I thought it was really important that um, people be able to find a safe space to be able to talk about their health issues and to be able to seek care that is safe and inclusive. Absolutely. Um, and and how does the directory actually work? So you can search in your local area um, for a specific clinician. So you can also search by their specialisation. So we've got GPs, psychologists and a range of other allied health. And we're looking to expand that even further so that people can find um, many different types of healthcare in their area. Fantastic. And, and so the directory, is that sort of, how is the directory sourced, I suppose? Is that um, pulled together from um, community or is there an, like other repositories around that, that predate this in some sense, but potentially for different geographic areas? Um, how, does, mm. how does the directory, how did it come to be, I guess, um, in that way? Um, we were working with a range of community groups, um, including Gothis, um, who were um, so excited to see something like this um, come through. So we were working with a range of different community groups and um, bringing together all of the lists that are around um, from the different um, groups in each state and for each identity group. We brought those together as well as um, going to events where we would ask people's recommendations for a GP or a particular clinician that they found was safe and inclusive for their healthcare. So we're trying to continue to ask for those um, and seeking community recommendations so that we can hopefully build a better comprehensive map of where our health services are and where clinicians might need um, a little bit more training, um, where people are really excited by this and want a bit more information. Is it specifically for non-binary people or is it also um, sort of providing um, or, you know, listing service providers that are useful to, you know, other people within the LGBTIQ 
communities across Australia? Doctor is a comprehensive directory, so um, we wanted to um, be inclusive of um, the entire LGBTQ community. Um, but we also wanted to recognise that each section of the community has specific health needs. So on the directory, we um, list whether a clinician is recommended for a particular portion of the community, um, understanding that somebody who might be um, amazing with um, HIV and um, care for queer um, men may not have the knowledge or the support um, around um, caring for queer women, non-binary people um, and other parts of the community. So we wanted to make sure that we were acknowledging that it's more complex than just um, getting an overall LGBTQ-friendly stamp. Yeah, so people can nominate a safe clinician based on their own experiences. So does that mean that, for example, for non-binary people, they can find a health professional who is recommended by other non-binary people specifically? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so we, our non-binary section, unfortunately, is a little bit limited. Um, but we've had trouble trying to find a list um, that was specifically targeted towards non-binary people, and that's where the majority of our content has obviously come from. Um, but we have found that um, community recommendations have been amazing to be able to pull together um, the identities that may not have a specific community group that already has a list. So um, the more people that we have recommending, the better. And because Doctor is a national directory, do you mm. find that there's been differences in recommendations for different locations? Like because healthcare availability and quality can often differ depending on where you're located, have you found mm. that you've had many recommendations for places in regional and rural areas? Um, it is always an issue um, to find um, clinicians in um, less metro areas, rural, remote, um, even out of suburban areas. People tend to go um, to a clinic that they know is specialised, um, but often that creates longer wait lists for those specialised clinics and the particular clinicians that happen, uh, that happen to have that knowledge um, and that are known within the community to be safe which puts a lot of pressure on those clinicians. And um, from what I've heard from clinicians, um, it often leads to burnout, which is obviously something that we don't want to happen for our um, great clinicians who are helping us have great healthcare. So we do want to fill the, um, the gaps in um, the map. Um, we're seeking um, different recommendations from a wide variety of different locations and trying to find um, those people in those areas that are willing to um, learn a little bit more, even if it isn't their particular specialisation, and to expand their knowledge and hopefully be able to um, take on a lot more LGBTI clients. We're talking about, I guess, uh, you know, where a lot of these um, clinicians with the knowledge and the understanding to be able to navigate, um, you know, various health uh, needs, I suppose. But, I mean, why is it important to have, um, you know, safe healthcare access to that healthcare um, is particularly important for um, non-binary people? I think that there's a growing awareness um, for um, binary transgender identities. Um, and I think that's something that um, is really important um, for the community. Um, and I include myself as being part of the trans community, but some non-binary people don't necessarily feel part of the trans community. And with non-binary identities, it can often our presentations can be 
very different and can be quite variable. And often clinicians and um, people who are not part of um, the LGBTQ community don't recognise what non-binary people look like. They don't recognise that uh, the the queerness of identity um, for a lot of people who may present in very conventional ways. It's important that the clinician-patient um, relationship be really respectful. And part of that is acknowledging um, someone's pronouns and names that may not be reflected in their legal paperwork or their medical paperwork. And it's also important that clinicians understand that non-binary people may or may not access gender-affirming care, and that doesn't impact on their identity or their, their identity markers in any way. And that's particularly important um, in affirming um, identity and being able to understand someone's journey, um, both medically and socially. This week, we've also spoken with um, Varro from the uh, South Australian Rainbow Advocacy Alliance, and they spoke a little bit about, um, I, I guess, that capacity building, right? So that more healthcare providers, mm. in, in their case specifically in South Australia, and I noticed that um, Dr. brought in some of the listings from Trans Health South Australia, we've spoken with Zach Cannell on, on, on the show before as well. Um, I guess, how can health providers that may not have um, much experience working with trans and gender diverse um, and, and as such non-binary people, um, how can they provide better service and care for non-binary people? Um, so there are a range of um, training modules that are out there. Um, I would recommend um, clinicians go to those um, training modules. There is one provided by um, Northwest PHN. Um, there are a few um, around, um, such as um, Wavelength Med Ed is another um, another site that we recommend for medical students um, to try to expand people's knowledge around um, transgender diverse and non-binary people's experiences and their need for gender uh, gender affirming care or just inclusive care that doesn't focus necessarily on gender affirming care. Um, obviously, there's a, a real issue with somebody coming in for a cold or something completely unrelated to their gender. The conversation being steered back to gender affirming care or their gender identity. Um, which is also an issue. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, people need to access healthcare for a whole range of reasons. Mm. And for trans and gender diverse people, it can still be about those common issues like having a cold or having, you know, a broken leg. I don't know. Completely so, unrelated to it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we need to have doctors who are aware of the needs of our communities so that they still provide a safe service even when it's not directly about um, like mm. transitioning or accessing healthcare specific to gender identity. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it's interesting also for a lot of non-binary people to access healthcare and maybe feel the pressure that they need to be thinking about transitioning or need to, I guess, present mm. their... Um, their needs in a certain way to GPs, especially when those GPs are known for providing that kind of care around um, transition to patients. Do you think that yeah. for non-binary people being able to access healthcare providers who have a better understanding of the complexities around non-binary identity, do you think that will be 
helpful for, um, you know, for patients to not feel that extra pressure to, you know, have to fit into different boxes? Yes, definitely. Um, I've heard a lot of um, reports of people who have um, tried to access uh, care and have been um, rebuffed because they don't present a certain way um, because when they're seeking gender-affirming care, um, often um, clinicians will expect to see binary presentations or um, have expressions of gender um, dysmorphia that date back to childhood, which isn't always true for a lot of non-binary people um, who may come into their identity later in life or may not have... um, uh, who may have a dysmorphia that comes and goes at times. The trans community um, moving forward has done um, a lot of great work in paving the way for a lot of understanding of the way that uh, transness presents. But non-binary identities um, have a nuance that often sometimes gets lost when talking about um, changing to the opposite gender in inverted commas. Um, because often non-binary people will sit within the gender spectrum or outside of it. And so explaining that to clinicians who may have a very binary sense of gender is a complex conversation and can't be done sometimes in a 15-minute consult. Mm. Before, I guess, we move on to, um, I, I guess, the next topic, uh I guess for health clinicians that want to be on doctor, are they able to nominate themselves? What what does the process look like there? Clinicians who currently aren't on the directory can definitely self-nominate. Um, we do have a little bit of a backlog at the moment um, because we are volunteer-based, but we are looking for clinicians, particularly those who are part of the community. People who are looking for a clinician often will try to gravitate towards somebody who is part of the community to feel more comfortable So obviously those people will have um, a greater sense of lived experience and um, a greater sense of safety from the client's point of view. So we're particularly looking for clinicians who have lived experience. But having said that, anyone who is interested in learning more and gaining more knowledge to be able to cater to the LGBTQ community and to um, gain more clients um, in the community are very welcome and very welcome to start a conversation with us. Here on Well, 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 we're speaking with uh, SJ Matthews about uh, Doctor. Um, uh, Stick around, we've got more coming up in just a moment on non-binary parenting. From HIV to COVID-19, STIs and everything in between, you're listening to Well, Well, Well on Joy 94.9. That's where you are, Jack and Jacinta are with you in studio at the moment on the phone with SJ Matthews. Uh, if you missed a bit of our chat about uh, doctor and navigating the health system when you're non-binary, you can check out that full discussion uh, on the website, joy.org.au slash well, well, well. Uh, it is non-binary people's day and we're going to jump into a little bit of non-binary parenting talk. Because yeah. um, I, I guess, SJ, was gender a part of the conversation when thinking about having kids, um, you know, whether it was about your child, yourself or or your partner? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's all these uh, expectations wrapped up in uh, the gender of the child and um, having to explain my gender and my title to other parents, to uh, schools, things um, going forward. Um, and to understanding the way that people react to my child and the expectations and stereotypes that they'll place um, upon them. 
So definitely, there's um, unfortunately everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely is. And I can imagine trying to navigate all of those different systems. It just confronts you over and over again about how it's very categorized. And if mm. you don't fit, then people just mm. get confused. Um, for, I mean, first of all, we should probably ask, like, tell us a bit about your journey as a parent so far. Sure. So my little one is um, eight months old. Um they're very cute and we use he, they pronouns um, for him. So um, he's, he's adorable and um, his smile just makes my heart melt. But at the same time, he's going through a little bit of a time and uh, sleep is um, very precious to us. But unfortunately, uh, he's decided to disrupt that as much as possible. Yeah, I'm sure that there's a lot of other parents listening to this right now, nodding their heads in agreement. <laughs> Please go to sleep. Please go to sleep. So are you raising them in a non-gendered way or are you just kind of seeing how things go as your child, I guess, grows up and starts to become aware of gender? Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, we, want, we had discussions early on about um, the way that we would um, raise a child and we're trying to be as... Uh, gender neutral as possible but the world around us really puts a lot of expectations and I think for every parent you kind of just unpack your own uh, gender stereotypes and gender roles that you've uh, built up over the years and particularly with grandparents who don't really understand like my mother is such an excited grandparent, but she really doesn't understand um, my non-binary identity, let alone um, a child who would be brought into the world with uh, non, with not as much expectation on their gender and um, the way that that works. When back in her day, it was if you had a child with a particular set of genitals, that's who they grew up to be in terms of a gender role. What has that been like having those discussions having to with na- your navigate, mother? Yeah. yeah, navigating those conversations can be loaded when yeah. it's just like you and your parents. But then when you're talking about your child, I imagine it becomes even more so. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it hasn't come up as much um, as we thought it might. Um, I think um, my mum has been very excited to be able to be a grandparent, and so doesn't want to uh, and. And so it doesn't want to enforce any kind of things that might cause any tension or conflict um, between us. And so she's learning a lot, I think, um, in just seeing the way that we are very relaxed about the way that we dress him um, and not concerned when people uh, presume some agenda or a sex for him. Um, and it's quite fun. Um, I mean... Unfortunately, she still buys the, you know, trucks and the cars and things yeah. like that. But I think she's getting the hang of not really caring as much. Um, like she still buys um, occasional pink things for him. Um, so I really appreciate that she's trying to learn at least. If you don't mind me asking, because I've noticed you're using mm. like pronouns, he, him, for your child, mm. I guess. Um, is it really just about being mindful in in navigating um you know uh gender defaults expectations uh being mindful as a parent raising your child but 
I, I, I like what comes up is it like clothing toys <laughs> are there other yeah, things involved in that as well that are not as obvious yeah there's a lot of moving parts to um the way that gender presents um and the way that people expect children to behave mm. based on the, the assumptions that they have um i do use um he as well as they um it puts people at ease to know um otherwise they keep asking questions and it starts to become a little bit awkward and just filtered um particularly when people are not used to using their singular unfortunately we have uh weighted towards um he um probably for um the comfort of uh cis people um which is unfortunate but we are mindful that um it we will have a conversation um as they get older to understand who they are within themselves and um explain to them essentially that these are the expectations that are around in society these are the things that were presumed about you but you don't have to take on any of this you don't have to use he if you don't want to you don't have to use the name that we um, gave you because we didn't know you we didn't know who you were going to be and that's totally fine did you foresee any impacts whether you know positive or difficult that gendered systems would have um on on your life and on their life as well i mean i appreciate that um you know, your kid's only, what was it, eight months old? Yeah. Um, so it, it's still it's fresh. relatively <laughs> early days. But um, ha- have any of those um, expectations um, or, you know, what you were bracing for come to pass? Not just yet. Um, I think the hardest conversations that I've had is around um, the fact that I am not titled mum, mummy, anything like that. Um, I've chosen a different title, um, which... Um, I have also shared with um, another couple of friends that we have. They also use an alternate title for their parentage. And I think it's important for a lot of people to understand that it doesn't default to um, mum, daddy, whatever um, they expect it to be. Um, And it's important to actually ask the parents what they would like to be called. Have there been moments where you wished that the systems were different or things that you can see might be easy to change around parenting and navigating the life of your child? Um, it's less about the systems. Um, there is obviously the obvious um, uh, things around birth and the presumptions that are made um, during that time and it's, it's a high-pressure time. Um, having a child in a hospital where uh, people are walking in and out, um, staff are like constantly on rotation and having to explain and re-explain your identity and your presentation and the way that your family functions can sometimes be exhausting. And so sometimes being in the closet can just be easier just going with the flow about uh, their expectations and the presumptions that they make rather than having to explain it over and over and over again. Um, And obviously putting a sex on a a birth certificate, it was obviously something that had mixed feelings for me, knowing that my child would possibly want to revisit that at a later stage. Um, And 
that's totally valid for them and their, their identity. Um, and I hope that it's a better world for them than it was in the generations previous. We've been speaking a lot about some of the difficulties and the systems um, that, that you faced so far, but I, you know, what have some of the best parts been of, of being a non-binary parent? I think it's the joy of uh, gender fuckery. Uh, can I say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. totally. <laughs> um, I think it's the joy of gender fuckery um, because being able to give your child the freedom to express who they are without limiting them to um, a specific set of expectations um, and being able to give them the space to see who they are. I mean, he's only eight months old right now. Um, and so that expectation obviously hasn't been placed hugely upon their shoulders. Um, they haven't felt that um, consciously yet, but undoubtedly they will. Um, and at some point we'll probably have a deep conversation about what that means. But having the freedom to be able to, and knowing that I can defend and embody um, different parts of masculinity and femininity for them, I think is is important and being able to examine where the publication comes from, where the gender comes from, and being able to have those complex conversations at such a young age, I think is really important. And I think that's something that is a real strength of our family. For non-binary people considering being a parent for the first time, what do you, you know, what do you wish you knew or, or still want to know um, so that they, they might have a little bit of an easier time, I guess, getting started? I think um, during the fertility process is one of the hardest parts um, and it's one that often during that process, um, particularly if you take part in um, either birth or fertility treatment, um, it can be quite confronting to come up against the, the discomfort with your body and the dysmorphia that can present itself in such a strong way because of the way that the treatments can interact with your body. And it's not for everybody. It is really, really hard at times to go through that. And um, particularly in fertility areas that are so pinkified and so gendered in so many ways, um, sometimes that can be uh, a journey in itself. Absolutely. And, and for yourself, was it easy to find support in those processes or were you able to connect with other perhaps non-binary parents or people who at least had an understanding of, you know, of breaking down gender and those concepts to be able to connect with them and, and feel like you weren't going at it alone? I think I could have thought... Um better support systems through um, a lot of Facebook groups or um, other groups that had um, non-binary people um, talking about their experiences um, and being able to vent. Um, my partner was an amazing support, of course, um, but having those experiences just with morphia and things like that and, um, sorry, dysphoria, um, was challenging and... Um, I think for me it was important to be able to honour my identity but also to give myself the space to be 
comfortable um, with being misgendered where I thought the conversation was not going to produce any kind of support, where things are constantly changeable, where staff are, where staff are on rotation and um, we may not ever see them again. And so having that type of conversation um, is not necessarily worth it. And giving yourself the permission to be okay with not having the hard conversations with every single interaction. Yeah, it still sounds like it's a difficult thing to confront and I'm sure that there's a lot of other people out there who have been through that process themselves or are potentially about to embark on that, whether it's in the near future or later on in their life. So we really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your reflections today with us, SJ. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and well-being, presented by Joy sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website, thornharbour.org. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy.